We don't have a crystal ball, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. But in this special episode, we'll do our best to highlight what matters for the second half of the year. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. And by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this special episode of Market Matters. Yes, today marks the release of our mid-year outlook, and we think it's just great. (laughs) This document really is unlike anything we've done before. And so in addition to our normal episodes, we're going to share three special episodes, one in each of the next three weeks, that'll highlight what we think are the most interesting and useful components of that outlook. And don't get too excited about our ingenuity at this point, because today we're covering the normal outlook part, aka not that cool. Hey. (laughs) Okay, fine. Fine, fine, fine. Maybe it's not that cool, but it's very, very useful. And we still go through some cool scenarios. Exactly. Give the people what they ask for. All right. So, well, I will give you credit on one thing. It's not ideal to put forward a view on the world right now when so much is unknowable and uncertain. Yes, that's absolutely true. The sheer level of uncertainty and the size of the powerful forces facing investors at the moment are daunting, to say the least. And that's exactly the type of environment when, as investors, we have to take a step back and say, we don't exactly know what's going to happen. Being humble in the face of that uncertainty is so important in identifying the most clear-headed way forward. Acknowledging then that investors should be humble, as you said, in the face of all these risks and uncertainties, what are the guideposts we can use for what's going on and what's going on ahead? Well, ultimately, I think the difference between the three different scenarios that we outlined for COVID come down to two issues and really only these two issues. One, what is the virus path? And two, how effective is policy? What happens in those two areas will be the direct determinant and the backdrop for the investment environment moving forward. Okay, so the virus and policy, but what do you mean by the the second part there? A little bit of everything, at least where investment is concerned. These two factors will determine the overall nature of risk in the markets, and it'll determine regional preference too, which companies or sectors will outperform or underperform, and it'll determine how quickly we recover or not from this crisis. Got it. So we're breaking down some pretty big stuff here. So let's stick on that first point, the point of recovery, just for a second. I know that we can't know for sure what's going to happen from here, but since this is a conversation about our second half outlook, I'd like you to put a stake in the ground. What do we actually think is going to happen? What you're asking for is our base case scenario. And our base case scenario acknowledges that policy support has been really effective in eliminating the worst case scenarios for households and corporations and the economy. But we also expect that investment and consumer spending could be damaged for some time because of fear related to the virus. And so we think that a steady, sustained recovery from here, continuing that quick rebound, for example, is highly unlikely. 
the U.S. was not successful in containing the first wave of COVID-19 infections, which means that its path to conquering the virus will be uneven. There's a lot we don't know. And so even in places where restrictions are eased, physically vulnerable or otherwise risk-averse people are likely to remain hesitant to re-engage with the economy. So it's not a it's not a dire scenario, but it's one that's very cautious. Okay, so um, I'm going to pause you there for a second because I think there's a really important point in here. Everyone really does react to risk differently. Some people who are healthy and risk-tolerant might be willing to engage in the economy again and spend, and consumption will be very important for our path forward. Others might be healthy, but are more risk averse and concerned about the virus. So they'll probably be a little slower to engage. Um, And then there are some populations that will just be vulnerable until there is a safe, effective vaccine or drug therapy. Exactly. And that's actually a lot of people. So in the U.S., folks who are age 65 and older make up 18% of the population. 1.3% of people have cancer in the U.S., and another 4.2% have immunodeficiencies. So you get the point. Even those three groups are 23.6% of the economy that can't engage until we have some sort of treatment for the virus. Right. And these people who aren't engaging in in the economy are, are not consuming. And that's a very, as we always say, that's a very important part of economic growth. And so for me, what this says is that our base case view is like a V-shaped recovery up to a point, like a rapid rebound. But then at that point, um, we'll still be short of where we were before COVID. Yeah, that's that's our concern. And it means that a wave of corporate defaults and local business bankruptcies is still to come. I know, Robert, when, when we talk with clients, one of the things you say all the time is that policy has helped with liquidity for now, but solvency is still on the table. And I think that's exactly right. Policy support has helped companies to bridge the ca- the gap created by the virus-related shutdown, but it may prove less effective at convincing people to spend at stores or at restaurants. And at the end of the day, that's how companies survive. And so, yes, a lower cost of public financing, lower interest rates have bought us more time against that larger wave of defaults, but it's unclear that it's really kept people anchored to their places of employment or kept those bankruptcies from coming just a little bit later. That sounds like another drag on economic growth you're talking about. It is. And so again, just as to summarize, policy's taken the worst case scenarios off the table, but there's that initial enthusiasm of the recovery from a low base is probably going to wane in the coming months. Man, that sounds disappointing, but I guess realistic. So then if the virus or policy outcomes are better than we're expecting, that would also mean better economic circumstances, right? Exactly. So what you're asking about now is an upside scenario. And we use the outlook to spell out specific scenarios for COVID. But the basic idea, again, coming back to the two things that really matter, being the virus and policy, if the virus and policy look better than we expect, then the economy will look better than we expect as well. There's so much good stuff in this outlook that I want to keep going here um, and and move away from what we've just been talking about. Uh, But I also want to be cognizant of time. So uh, why don't we do a couple flash questions? I'll highlight a few things I thought were pretty interesting as I was reading through it. and, And you can answer in one to two sentences. Awesome. Let's do it. All right, cool. Question number one, our outlook 2020 focused on profits as a major driver of the economy. How do profits look? Probably not great. 
Corporate profit growth has been decelerating for six years before this crisis. And an indication or what that means for companies is that they had less buffer against risk. And so now fear of human health could mean lower demand for a long period of time, keeping corporate profits below average for as long as the virus is around. If you add that compliance costs to stay open while the virus is here, supply chain disruptions and capacity constraints, it's just going to exacerbate this challenge. Uh, an important reminder to our listeners that profit growth is extremely important to support rising equity prices. What do you think then, LG, is going to happen in the election? It's an election year. <laughs> on top of everything else, yes, it is an election year. And I think it's too early to speculate on what could happen in, in November. But the big takeaway for investors is the same thing I always say. It's all about policy, not necessarily about politics. Markets are going to react whether positively or negatively, to expectations that the policies impacting corporate earnings could be different in the future. So that means the elections will become more market relevant if the odds of a Democratic sweep victories in both the White House and Congress rise, because that would be the most likely scenario that policies would change. And if that becomes the case, investors are going to focus less on short-term fiscal boosts and more on tax hikes and redistribution of wealth down the road. Oh my goodness, you said taxes. Are they going up? A democratic sweep would mean that taxes are likely to go up, yes, but it might not happen right away. We're still in the middle of a crisis, and so I think that those types of redistributive policies are likely to be put on hold because companies are struggling so much with demand right now. But generally speaking, yes, corporate and individual tax rates could go up, and an infrastructure plan probably happens no matter who's in office, but how that looks may vary. So the tone of trade negotiations, um, I just mentioned infrastructure, these are types of things that might also change, other policy changes with a new administration. And that too has important implications for earnings across sectors. All right. One more question. Um, wow. It's so hard. I'm going to skip international because that's our normal podcast episode this week. Uh, so let's go with uh, what this outlook means for our investment thesis. COVID-19 has created powerful cross currents for investors. Our instinct is to remain conservative in our investment policy until we see clear evidence that the U.S. economic and corporate environments are on stable footing. Wow, so brief. I okay. wanted to save something to say for next week. <laughs> well, that's it for today's special episode. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it and that you read our outlook. We'll be back on Monday for our normal episode of Market Matters. And again, next Wednesday for a second special episode outlining our portfolio ideas for the second half. That's right. That's right. Next week, we will share a truly innovative piece that maps how to invest no matter what you think will happen next with the economy, the virus, and more. I have to give you props on this section, Robert. It's so innovative and interesting. So definitely join us again next week for some truly excellent longer-term thinking. In the meantime, you can still let us know what matters to you. Yes, please do. If you have a question or topic of interest, let us know. Just find us on social media. And you all know how to do that. Hit us up on LinkedIn or follow our views at nylinvestments.com slash blog. Until then, I am Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to talking to you next week.
Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.